Hello and welcome to In the Word with Michelle Telfer. Thanks for joining us for this in-depth study of God's Word, the Bible. This lesson was previously recorded by Michelle in front of a live audience. There is a deep abiding supernatural joy in Christ that is available to all who trust in Him. As Christ followers, you and I may suffer great loss, but even at the worst times of life, nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so even in circumstances of sadness and pain, where joy would seem impossible to others, our joy in the Lord remains. Paul was a man who, as a Pharisee, had spent a lifetime trying to please God by what he did, and yet all of his great accomplishments that had won him such honor in the sight of men, he considered as rubbish compared to knowing Christ, because it is in Christ that a righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith is found. And this righteousness is so much more valuable than anything we could accomplish in our own strength. Paul was willing to forget about his past in order to press on living according to Christ's example, and he encouraged others to do the same. He affirmed that as we have now put our trust in Jesus, our citizenship is now in heaven, and we live as ambassadors for the Lord's kingdom in this foreign place. Of course, like any good ambassador, we're to always be mindful to represent our true home well. And so to that end, as Paul begins to conclude his letter in Philippians 4 verse 1, he urges his beloved friends not only to stand firm in their commitment to Christ, but also to strive for unity. He says, Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. I plead with Euodia and I plead with Suntuke to be of the same mind in the Lord. And yes, I ask you, my true companion, to help these women since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers whose names are written in the book of life. We notice again the great love that Paul has for his friends in Philippi as he confirms that they are his joy and his crown. Now, as Paul sits in prison, I'm sure his awful circumstances seem to be closing in on him at this point as he considers the fact that he really may not live long enough to communicate with the Philippians again. Yet his heart overflows with joy at the thought of them. He's delighted as any good teacher would be with their best students. And he tells them that they are the reason for his joy. Paul also tells them that they are his crown. And the word that he uses here in the Greek is a very special one. It is Stephanos. This type of crown, the Stephanos, was made out of twisted leaves and was given to victorious athletes in the Greek games. So winning that crown was really like winning a gold medal at the Olympics today. It was every athlete's greatest ambition. 
but the Stephanos was also given to honoured guests as they celebrated at a banquet. And so when Paul uses this as um, telling the people in Philippi that they are his crown in this way, what he's really saying is that they were his prized reward at the end of his life's race and that they would be his badge of honour as he went to sit at God's banquet table in heaven. His greatest joy had been to bring them to Christ and to see their dedication to living as Christ had. He wanted them to stand firm for the Lord in the face of the enemy, and he did not want them to give Satan a foothold. Knowing the enemy's powerful tactic of sowing disunity, Paul then speaks about healing a division that had come about in the church at Philippi between two women, Euodia and Suntuke. We're not really told what the cause of their disagreement had been, but Paul pleads for them to agree in the Lord. You see, it's because we have that common bond of belonging to Jesus, we are to seek to cooperate with one another, putting aside our disagreements because of our allegiance to Christ. Paul wanted these two quarreling women to be helped towards reconciliation because they were not only precious to him, they were precious to the Lord as well. And he says that they had contended at his side for the sake of the gospel. And also Paul declares them to be his co-workers whose names are written in the book of life. Now, the Bible tells us that the book of life is where all of our names are written when we truly believe in Christ Jesus. I found that it was very encouraging to see that these two women were such valuable co-ministers with Paul because that kind of honor was not usually given to females in the world of that time. And so this really goes to prove how radically Jesus changed the status of women who followed him. Not only that, but it's also reassuring to know that these two women who were so devoted to the Lord and who were so used by him, still had their differences that needed to be worked out for God's glory. Because it just goes to underscore the truth we learned in our last lesson, that as Christians, we do not necessarily model perfection as much as we model perseverance, as we try to live lives that are fully surrendered to Christ. Paul then continues in verse 4, saying, Rejoice in the Lord always, I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all, the Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Here, Paul shares wisdom on how to live a peace-filled life free from worry and anxiety. Chained to his God in prison, Paul's first thought was the joy he had in the Lord. And because of God's firm commitment to him, Paul knew that he could joyfully anticipate God's steadfast love, irrespective of what came his way. He emphasized that those who focus on the Lord will have a gentleness about them that is obvious to all people. In his own circumstance, for example, Paul wasn't angrily defending himself or fighting for a different outcome. 
No, he had entrusted himself to God, knowing that God would never leave him nor forsake him. And in fact, that's exactly what he reminds the Philippians of next when he says in the text, the Lord is near. It is as we realize that God is with us in the midst of our trial that we can gently deal with those around us, even if they happen to be our prison guards. Paul went on to encourage, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Even though our circumstances may be different to Paul's, this advice is valid for us today also because it's very easy to get anxious about the difficult circumstances we face. But if we remember that the Lord is near and that he hears us when we pray, peace becomes possible. Peter urged us in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7 to cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. And here Paul says very much the same, that we should pray in any and every situation. You see, nothing is too great for the Lord's power and nothing is too small for his loving care. Our anxieties are not irrelevant to God. He is concerned about what concerns us. And as we bring our requests before him, Paul says we are to pray with thanksgiving. There's real power in that. You see, repeatedly in scripture, we see God's people face difficult circumstances by remembering God's faithfulness in the past. For example, when King Jehoshaphat faced the terrifying armies of Ammon, Moab, and Edom, he prayed first, giving thanks for God's faithfulness in the past. And as he confessed his need, he then thanked God for what the Lord would do in response to his people's prayers that day. So the question really is, what about us? Do we pray about everything that concerns us or do we just sit around and worry about it instead? Do we recount God's faithfulness to us in the past as a way of increasing our trust in the present? And do we ever even think to thank God in faith for his answers in advance of seeing him act? We may not always get exactly what we've requested, but we can be sure that God will answer for our good in the end. I have often told my children as they were growing up that when we pray, God will answer. But if God says no to our request, if he shuts that door, we should really see it as being his protection of us because he knows things that we don't. And we can be sure that he loves us and desires our best. In Christ Jesus, we receive a peace that doesn't depend on our circumstances because as we entrust ourselves and all whom we hold dear into his loving hands, the peace that only God can give us, the peace that transcends all human understanding will not only guard our hearts, but our minds and thoughts also. It's very important that we understand, though, that peace is not the absence of trouble, not by any means, because Jesus even told us that in this world we will have trouble. Rather, biblical peace is found outside of our circumstances, and it's really based on our relationship with God that affects every aspect of life. 
Paul then expands on how a Christ follower can have peace no matter what their circumstances when he says in verse 8, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you've learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice and the God of peace will be with you. The human mind, you know, will always focus itself on something. The question is, what will we choose to let our minds focus on? Will it be our troubles or our difficult circumstances? Will it be forecasts of gloom and doom or angry and unforgiving thoughts? Or will we rather choose to fill our minds with something more beneficial to us and those that we're in relationship with? Paul first calls us to focus on what is true. And I appreciate that today people are really searching for truth. And yet, Jesus has already told us where truth can be found. In John chapter 8, verse 31 to 32, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And, you know, when praying for those who would follow him in John 17, verse 17, Jesus actually declared that God's word is truth. Elsewhere in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5, Paul insists that we are to take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Often we latch on to things that are presumed, but they're not necessarily true. But as we continue to think again and again through the same thoughts, the mere repetition of them makes it harder and harder to believe anything different. For example, I've dealt with people who see themselves in a certain way, and the way that they perceive themselves may not be true, and it may not be accurate according to the Word of God, but because they've repeatedly focused on those thoughts or perceptions over time, they've come to believe those things just by repetition. And those thoughts have to be taken captive. They have to be replaced by right thinking if their lives are to be any different. Another example is that, of course, we may presume that a person feels a certain way about us. And as we consider that perception again and again, we become convinced of it, though it may not actually be true. Paul calls us not to dwell on those things, but to focus instead on what is true, not on just what is often repeated or actually even on what is popular. Paul also calls us to focus our thoughts on what is noble, and by that he means whatever is honorable and moral, whatever is decent. The world around us is often consumed with thoughts that are decadent, dishonest, and immoral. Their minds are solely focused on pleasure and comfort and ease. As a Christian, though, our thoughts, by contrast, need to be on the mission that God has given to us of spreading the good news of his love to others. We're to concentrate on the right, pure, and lovely things. If you think of it, today the media, in its various forms, often seeks to fill our minds with obscene and indecent things. 
And all of those things have the ability to affect not only the way that we think, but also what we are drawn to. It was really no different in Paul's day, and he calls us to focus rather on the redemption of God and how the Lord can change a life by his own power into something that's pure and clean and set apart for his service. When Paul calls us to think about that which is lovely, he really means that we're to fix our minds on the very things that bring about God's kind of love. So, We can't be bitter or unforgiving because those things really only bring about resentment. We're to emphasize whatever is admirable or of good report and whatever is praiseworthy. These are the things that should be on our mind because they turn our hearts toward God. The book of Proverbs states that as a man thinks, so he is. What we choose to allow to fill our thoughts has an effect not only on our hearts, but on how we see the world. Paul had not only taught them the truth of God's word, he'd modeled this upright way of thinking and living for them. And he urged them saying, whatever you've learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. God is the God of peace, and he will be with us as we entrust our lives to him and follow Christ's example. It is in this way that we actually come to know life as it was truly meant to be, because as we focus on him as the source of all that is true, noble, pure, and right, as we experience Christ's loveliness and his splendor, and as our hearts overflow with awe and praise of him, the one who is above all others, we'll begin to see things from his perspective and experience the true peace that only he can give, a peace that is based on his love for us. Now, Paul knew that the concern the church at Philippi had shown him was really evidence of God's love for him. And so he thanks them, saying in verse 10, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. He was so grateful to the Lord for what they had done in sending their gifts with Epaphroditus. He knew that they'd wanted to help for some time, but they just hadn't had the opportunity to do so before, and he wanted them to know how much it meant to him. However, He also wanted them to know what God had taught him during all of his trials. Look at verse 11. I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. This is truly one of the most powerful statements in his letter. And what he says here is vital for us also. Paul was grateful for their help, but he wanted them to understand that he had learned to be content 
whatever the circumstances. And that goes to show us that contentment isn't something that comes naturally to the heart of man. Rather, it's something that really we have to learn from the Lord as we walk with him. We need to come to a place of so trusting God that our hearts are satisfied whatever the circumstances we find ourselves in. Paul knew what it meant not only to be in need, but also to have plenty. Either way, he did not let his circumstances dictate the way that he felt. He had learned the secret of being content, for as he kept his mind on God's love and care for him, Paul knew that God was faithful and that he would not be asked to endure more than he could bear. Not that Paul was able to face all of these trials on his own, in his own strength. No, not by any means. He realized that the Lord does not call us to a place that his power cannot keep us. And so Paul knew that he could do all things through the strength that Christ was willing to give him in every circumstance. Paul never looked at his circumstances to decide on whether or not God loved him. He knew that God loved him and that whatever he faced in life, Christ was with him. And it was that trust of the Lord that brought him to a place of surrender and peace and actually even contentment. He reminisced of how they had generously supported his ministry from the very beginning. And he goes on to say in verse 15, Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is that more be credited to your account. I have received full payment and have more than enough. I am amply supplied now that I've received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. The generosity of the Philippian church toward Paul had begun long ago, and he'd accepted aid from them on several occasions while on his missionary journeys. And in verse 17, he says something very important when he tells them, not that I desire your gifts, what I desire is that more be credited to your account. Paul wanted them to understand that he'd not been after their money. He hadn't longed for what they could give him. He loved them and had not expected anything from them. However, as they offered him help, he was eager to accept it because he wanted God to bless them. This is a very important truth for us to grasp too, because often I encounter Christians who are very hesitant to accept help from other people. But my thought is that to reject someone's kindness is to rob the giver of God's blessing. I mean, think about it. Jesus emphasized giving, saying in Matthew 6 verse 4, that those who gave in secret would be rewarded by God the Father. And then in Luke chapter 6 verse 38, Jesus also taught, and I quote, Given it will be given to you, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, 
will be put into your lap, for with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. And then in Acts 20, verse 35, Paul had reminded the Ephesian elders of the words the Lord Jesus himself had said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. So if this is true, then to refuse to accept people's aid is really to rob them of God's blessing. Paul had accepted the Philippians' help so that more would be credited to their account because he knew that God would reward their generosity. That being said, though, he didn't want them to think that he was in need of anything further because what they'd already sent with Epaphroditus had amply supplied him with more than enough. He wanted them to know that what they had given was like a fragrant offering, not to him, but to the Lord, and that God himself was well pleased with what they had done for Paul, his servant. When he speaks of their gifts being a fragrant offering to the Lord, Paul is really using a common Old Testament phrase for a sacrifice that was pleasing to God. Paul's joy in the gift, though, was not in what it did for him, but rather in what it did for them. It wasn't that he didn't value their gift, but his greatest joy was that it and the love which prompted it were dear to God. Accordingly, the apostle confirmed that God would meet all their needs in great abundance, according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. God's principle is that the giver receives back more from him than the one whom they helped. And, you know, if that doesn't make us all want to give to God's cause and help others, I don't know what will. But as Paul concludes, all of the glory for what is accomplished belongs to God alone. With time running short, Paul drew his letter to a close with a request that they, and I quote, Greet all God's people in Christ Jesus. The brothers and sisters who are with me send greetings. All God's people here send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. In this final section, there is one important phrase. As Paul sends special greetings from the Christian brothers and sisters who were with him, as well as those who were of Caesar's household, it's very important to understand that this phrase does not mean that those who were part of Caesar's household were part of his family. Rather, it means that they were those in Caesar's service. This would have included those in the Praetorian Guard, for example. You remember that elite group of soldiers who guarded the emperor's prisoners. And it would also have meant the palace officials as well, those who were responsible for the day-to-day -day administration of the empire. You see, the good news about Christ had been accepted by even those in the highest ranks of the Roman government. And one can only imagine how that news would have affected all of the retired Roman soldiers who had made their home in Philippi. And so Paul ends his letter with the words, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. The Philippians had sent their gifts to Paul. He had only one gift to send them, however, and it was his blessing. But what greater gift can anyone offer than the grace 
the unearned favor of God that brings us to the peace and contentment found in Christ alone. Let's pray. Father God, we want to thank you so much for everything you've said to us through this book of Philippians over the past weeks. We thank you, Lord, for what Paul has explained and how he has modeled how to follow Christ and how to live a godly life. Lord, I just thank you so much for the advice that he has given to us today. Lord, help us to remember to bring our every need to you and to pray with thanksgiving, Lord, knowing that you have been faithful in the past and so you shall be in the future. Lord, help us to learn the secret of being content in any and every circumstance as we keep our minds focused on what is true and what is pure and what is lovely and what is upright. Lord, help us to be a witness to others that indeed Christ is able to give us a strength that is far, far beyond our own. It is in Jesus' precious name we pray. Thank you for listening to In the Word with Michelle Telfer. Join us next week as we continue our study from God's Word, the Bible. Michelle's messages are also available on all major podcast platforms and on her website at intheword.com.